Good morning. In this series, we're using Cloud and Townsend's book, 12 Christian Beliefs That Can Drive You Crazy. We're using it as a springboard to talk about beliefs that seem to be Christian but aren't. And as we do so, we're going to uh, reference some of their thoughts. The book is provocative, fairly well done. Um, we will not confine ourselves to their solutions. Again, so we're not just parroting what the book said. In fact, I'll, this morning, I'll be a little bit critical of what they say and don't say when they talk about, uh, I just need to give it to the Lord, which is kind of with the, the one that they want to deal with. And, and as they talk about it, they say many Christians adopt a passive attitude toward their spiritual and emotional growth. Um, you have anything needs to be changed? No, I just need to give it to the Lord. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about areas in my life that require correcting. I'll just give it to the Lord. I'll just focus on Him, and I won't focus on myself. And when there are areas that might need attention, they would see this as a problem. Um, they say this is true, a, a passive attitude especially if individuals struggle with emotional pain, character weaknesses, life situations that need changing, dreams that need to be realized. Let's talk about um, having a let God and let go and let God view of the healing and growth process and it can follow one or two directions. Just focus on God. Again, you don't really need to look at yourself at all. Just focus on him and everything will work out okay. Or some versions say just don't focus on yourself. That's selfish. And when you focus on yourself and you're introspective about yourself, that's just really what you don't want to do. Um, and what they indicate in the book, and I think it's well stated, that many Christians are stuck because they don't perceive themselves as partners with God in cultivating their own growth. What they say, to the contrary, the authors say there's an active role for us to play in spiritual and emotional growth. That really is a question, isn't it? What's God's part and what's our part? And scriptures, they indicate that you can get confused. For instance, look what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Clearly, Paul teaches. With respect to salvation, it's not something that we accomplish. It's not by works. Um, it says in Romans 4, 4, and 5, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness, clearly, what Paul ends up saying, in order to come into a relationship with God, not only is it true that you don't base your approach to God on your works, it means understanding, believing that God justifies the wicked, which is a strong statement. Not only do your, our works not count, that we've got to understand that when it comes to justification, 
We believe that God justifies the wicked person who looks towards him, understanding that that's what salvation is about. So we aren't saved by works. It's not what we do, it's what he does. But then Scripture seems to indicate that we are saved for works. Look what it says. Well, what does it say in Ephesians? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So relative to salvation, it's not by works. But then when we're in a relationship with God, we are saved for works. There are things that he has prepared in advance for us to do, which does lead us to ask a question, doesn't it? What exactly is God's part, and what is my part? What's our part? Another verse, Philippians 2, it's not in your worship folder, but let me read it. Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Continue to work out your salvation with this seems to be a, there's a your part, but it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work. So these two things are held intention. Let's try to clarify. What's God's part? And what's our part? Um, it says in Ezekiel, it's under God's part, verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Look at that passage again. As it relates to the Christian life and understanding how it works, what God's part is, this is a very clear, important text. I, God says, will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. The spirit of God is the engine of the Christian life. God puts the spirit in us to move us to follow his decrees. God puts his spirit in us to move us to keep his laws. The spirit of God answers the how question. Now, there's a lot in the scriptures that tell us what we are supposed to do. But there are also places that say how. When we talk about how, this verse indicates the spirit of God must be involved in the how. It's how God brings us to the place where he does, where we do what he would have us to do. When talking about the Christian life then, especially about what we're to do, and I'm going to say this, when we're talking about the Christian life, and especially when we talk about how we live the life that he wants us to live, it is imperative to talk about the Spirit of God. We have to. Have to. Because the Bible, that is the how. Um, and when we think about uh, how this works, Romans 8, Paul says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death 
the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. As I read through the book, there's a lot of things I liked. They're very practical. But as I was paging through chapter 3 and chapter 4, which tried to find a balance between what's God's part and what's our part, I kept on flipping the pages, and I'm looking for a word. In fact, three words. I'm looking for Spirit of God. If a chapter or two chapters is going to tell me about how to live the Christian life, I need to find the Spirit of God in there multiple times. And I kept on turning the page. And I kept on turning the page. Fifteen pages went through chapter three. Fifteen pages went through chapter four found two places where it said spirit or spirit of God, but really didn't explain. Really, two sentences. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Again, I'm not blowing these. Well, yes, I am. I am kind of blowing them up. I am. It's not because of what they said. It's what they didn't say. You understand that? It's not about what they said. It's about what they didn't say. If you have a good what and know how, and that's what seems to happen a lot in Christian books. Um, There's a good what, but no how. And if you're going to talk about the how of the Christian life, you're going to talk about the Spirit of God. Uh, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Listen to what that says. Are there things in our life that we need to change? that need to be put to death. Okay? Now, here's what the book said. When we find the aspects of the self that need to die, we put them to death. When we find the aspects of the self that need to die, we put them to death. Is that true? Is it complete? There is a truth there. Do things need to be put to death? Here's what question didn't they answer. How? Now, in the verse, what does it say about the how? If blank, 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 you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If blank, 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 what is what are those blanks? By the Spirit. You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you understand? So they say, when we find aspects of the self that need to die, we put them to death. Not because of what it says, but because of what it doesn't say. By the Spirit. And again, what does that mean now? Can we establish, though, a good what without a how? What is that? That's frustrating. That's frustrating. What you end up doing is assuming, I should be able to do this. As the book indicates, I should, in fact, here's what it says. 
In repentance, we discover the sick, foul, and evil aspects of ourselves. Then we can say, I do not want to side with that motive or part of me. I want to be different. When we are controlling, for example, we can confess it to others and to God. Then as we notice how we control others in our relationships, we can repent and turn from it. Character change comes as we confess our sin, get our real needs met, and repent from the evil that we find comes so naturally. We do not have to feed the evil aspect of our personality. We can begin to loosen our hold on them and let them go. What do you think? What do you think? Is there some truth there? Did you hear anything about Spirit of God? If I don't hear about Spirit of God here, that's unacceptable. And I didn't read anything about Spirit of God in those chapters. That's unacceptable. And these are decent people. And I'm not just targeting them by and large. In Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines, decent book. And what he did, tried to balance out, you don't want to be so legalistic with spiritual disciplines. You want to kind of have a easier, and he had some decent things. So this guy ended up, uh, we were talking, and he he was kind of under a little bit of pressure because he said, you know, Mike, there's some people that, you know, they're, they're saying that I might be a little bit too grace-based, and he was indicating kind of, that I might be, have been a little grace-based, too grace-based as well. And so we talk. I'm fine with that. I hear it a lot. But anyways, he gives me this book. He said, my wife wanted you to read this. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm not sure I'm going to read this, but let me see if it has an index in it. Great. It has an index. If this book is going to talk to me about spiritual life, I will need to find Galatians 5, 16 through 23 in there. We're going to read it. I need to find it in here and not just mention it needs to talk about it, okay? You with me? And I told him, and this guy said, oh, yeah, okay, that's safe. I looked at, I looked at the page, went to the table of contents, Galatians 5, 16 to 23, there it is, on page 284. Two sentences. And what I did, I closed the book, gave it back to me, I said, this isn't worth my time. Not worth my time. That wasn't mean about it. Is not going to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. The Spirit of God is the how. And if you, and if you give a what with, in the, I think I probably made my point. Yeah, keep on going. Keep on. What do we learn about the how? It says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It contrasts two spirits. One comes from God and one doesn't. There's a spirit of slavery and there's a spirit of sonship. You can find both of them. And we kind of are pulled by both of them. None of us are pure. We are pulled by a spirit of slavery and a spirit of sonship. Here's the question. Which one comes from God? And how can we find ourselves pulled more by the spirit that God wants us to be pulled by? Uh, the spirit of slavery, it says, 
You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. One thing we find out about a spirit of slavery, it's a spirit of slavery. It ends up causing you to think of yourself as a slave and God as the master. And the thing that it leads to in terms of how you approach God, it's a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. You fear God's judgment. You say, I don't have a permanent place in the family, so I better behave so that I don't get kicked out of the family. I better not disbe, I better behave in order that I might not get kicked out. That's a spirit of slavery. It leads to fear. Um, it says a spirit of slavery that leads again to fear. This spirit has been active. In fact, what Paul is describing, he's talking about Old Covenant Judaism. The Old Covenant was, obey and you'll be blessed, disobey and you'll be cursed. Paul describes that as a spirit of slavery, which leads to fear. What he says, you have not received that. You've received, and it talks about a spirit of sonship. You receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit moves us from a fear-based orientation to a faith and trust-based orientation. How many of us have experienced, and again, being afraid of God, being afraid all of us have, and to some degree we still are. We also experience a sense of trust and confidence. Which of these is the spirit of God going to cultivate? The spirit of slavery or the spirit of sonship? This is what the spirit of God does. In order to get you to behave, the spirit of God will teach you to think like a son and a daughter, not like a slave. That is the how of the Christian life. How is God going to change you? He's going to change the way you think about him from being afraid of a master to trusting and loving a father. That is part of the how. It's how it works. This is how we are to think of the spirit. Oftentimes what happens when somebody talks about the Spirit, it happened in the book. We, and they're talking about some of the things that we can do. And it says we can look inside of ourselves and find the things that are objectionable, which is okay. Uh, And this is what they say. We have the ability to continue searching. And this this is the place where it talks about Spirit. Okay, Here's where it talks about Spirit in the chapters. We have the ability to continue searching and asking God and others to reveal to us what is in our souls. God's Spirit and people can help us to see ourselves as we really are. You know what God's Spirit does? He points to things inside that are wrong and goes, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at that. Look at that. Get people to tell you what's really inside. Here's my question. Is that the main function of the Spirit to act as some sort of conscience to convict you of sin. Have you read that before? Have you read it? I read it all the time. That's what I find here. It's what the Spirit does. He, psst, I don't want to point out now, but 
And that's the nice spirit. The other spirit is, hey! The problem is, that's not what it says. That's not what the scripture says. What does the spirit do? He testified with our spirit that we are God's children. What the spirit of God will do to you, he will not make you afraid of God's judgment. He will not. That's a spirit of slavery. We're all impacted by that. So I'm not saying that if you're afraid that you're bad. We all deal with that. But let's at least understand the direction that God wants us to go in. Would you agree? Let's understand the kind of influence he wants to have. And we move in that direction together. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. That's where we need to go. Because that's where the spirit is. And the spirit is the how. If you know everything about what God wants you to do, but you don't have a how, you're not going to get there. That's the how. He's a spirit of adoption. He testifies with our spirits that we're God's children. Here's what the spirit of God will tell you. I know when you look at yourself, that you see some, th- see some things that are right and see some things that you don't like. Um, you're not a slave. You don't need to obey in order to keep your place in the family. And when you disobey, you're not kicked out of the family because what the Spirit of God will testify to you, if you haven't realized it yet, you're not a slave. You're a child. You are a son or daughter of God. And as such, your place in his family is preserved. That's what the Spirit of God will do. And as that understanding deepens, it will change your life. Not overnight, slowly, gradually, as your fear of God decreases, as your fear of judgment decreases, you know what's happening? Love and trust increase. Fear of judgment, high. Love and trust, low. Love and trust, high. Fear and judgment, low. So therefore, understand that that's part of the how. That's God's part is to put his spirit in us and move us to follow his decrees and to be careful to keep his laws. What is our part? What's our part? What it says in Galatians 5, 16 through 23. So I say, Paul writes, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not Inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's make two lists. Let's list column A and column B. Column A and column B. Here's column A. (coughs) Sexual immorality. 
online in relationships. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Those capital, aren't they? Idolatry, capital I, witchcraft, capital W, hatred, small h. You know, so if I was saying these, if I was, if, and maybe, you know, maybe I didn't read this right. Let me, let me read this again. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It doesn't do that, though, does it? It puts them all under, this is all under column A. Column A, all those things. Column B. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Question. How many of you would like less of column A? How many of you would like more of column B? Less of column A? More of column B? If you want less of column A and more of column B, what does the text say you should do? Try hard. Right? Isn't that in there? Live by the Spirit. But it says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit and you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we can have a discussion, can't we, about what it means to live by the Spirit? But if we're going to talk about how the Christian life happens, we have to have a discussion of what it means to live by the Spirit. It's not okay not to talk about it. And it's not okay for a book that's going to talk about living the life to not talk about how to live by the Spirit. See, it's not what it says, it's what it doesn't say. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Do you understand how important that question is? If you want less of column A, you have to understand what it means to live by the Spirit. If you want more of column B, you have to understand what it means to live by the Spirit. Do you have a clear idea of what it means to live by the Spirit? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, it's when you kind of feel, I think Jane wants me to call her. You get a subjective impression. And sometimes there is. That's not what it means to live by the Spirit, though. Oh, I know what it means to live by the Spirit. It's when I do something wrong and the Spirit goes, eh, and that's what, it, no, that's not what it means to live by the Spirit. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? I'm going to read this again. Well, and see if you find it. It gives a short description in the text of what it means to live by the Spirit. Okay. Um, I say live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. What happens, there are two sets of desires. There's part of us that wants to do column A, part of us wants to do column B, and they fight. How can we do more of column B? That's what it says. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Stop right there. What does that mean? If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. That's the clarification. To live by the Spirit means you aren't under law. Here's the question. Does God bless you when you obey and curse you when you disobey? 
If you believe that, you are under law. That's what law indicates. It separates out good and bad. And if you do the good and don't do the bad, you're in. If you do the bad and don't do the good, you're out. That's what it means to be under law, to be under the jurisdiction of law, to not have a permanent place in the family. I know this sounds scary. It sounds, boy, Mike, if you take off the weight of judgment, what will cause me to obey? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will not lead you under law. Now, all of us think about that. That thinking has to go. It's not going to go completely. But that's what the Spirit wants us to do. He leads us out from under law. If we go out from under law, where do we end up? Under the new covenant law, which is, I put my law in your heart. I'm going to cause you to know me. And I'm going to be Helios forgiving I'm, not even, I'm going to be non-reactive to your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Do so, you know what it means to live by the Spirit then? It means to live under the new covenant. And here's what it says. God writes his law in your heart. How would it impact you if you understood that the responsibility for making you the person he wants you to be, God does that? No longer does a man... Does, will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Do you understand that God takes responsibility to cause you to know him? I want you to listen to me. What God says, I am going to cause you to know me. What would happen if you believed that? Think about it. He says, I will be Helios to your unrighteousnesses. Helios means graceful, favorable, benevolent, kind, and cheerful. Here's what he says. When you sin, when there are unrighteousnesses, I am Helios, non-reactive. I am Helios to your unrighteousness, and I remember your sins no more. How would that impact you if you believe that? That when you did something wrong, you understood that God's face doesn't change. Well, I better go to church. I got to make up for what I did bad. That's a spirit of slavery. It leads to fear. It doesn't lead to, it's not the how. It's a spirit of sonship. This seems dangerous in a way, doesn't it? It seems too free, too easy. You know what the deal is? We didn't make up the system. He did. We didn't make this up. He's the one that's telling us what it's like. He hasn't given us a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear. He's given us the spirit of sonship, his idea. And his idea is, if you start thinking as a child, a son and daughter, you'll start acting like it. That's novel. And again, this might sound easy. It's not easy at all. JC, I think, talks about this battle, spirit of slavery, spirit of sonship, it's every bit as vicious as street fights in the streets of Denver. Vicious, because it pulls on our minds. Um, little kid in a counselor's office, how does this work? Just give a little illustration. Little kid in a counselor's office uh, took a glass, spilled it, and it was, it was play therapy. And so counselor just stood back and this kid started to 
And he kind of reacted, and he, and then this is what he did. It's okay. It's okay. And he started to relax. It's okay. And then he started to pick up the glass, and he got something to wipe. You know what happened? His mother had told him that over and over and over again, and he had a mental representation in his mind of his mother. She had said to him on numerous occasions, it's okay, it's okay. You know what ended up happening to this little kid? He got into a place his mother's not there. The mental representation of his mother spoke to him in his mind. The thing that he had heard from her, it's okay. And you know what it did to him? The thought that I'm my mother's son and always have been, and she's my mother, and it's okay, caused him to calm down, even though she wasn't there. This mental representation of responsiveness, creating in your mind the mental representation of God as responsive, it's okay. But look at, it's okay. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. But look at the world. Look at, it's okay. But I feel, it's okay. When we carry around a mental representation of God as responsive, you know what we end up doing? Being like that little kid. Getting in situations where we feel alone and afraid. And the Spirit develops in us a mental representation. In fact, you know what that mental representation of God is called? The mental representation of God is responsive? I think it goes by another word in the Scriptures. Faith. That's faith. The mental representation of the character of God. When we make room in our mind for His commitments... We start to grow in our sense of his responsiveness. We find ourselves in situations that are frightening. And we end up, wait a minute. I have a father in heaven who is never going to turn his back on me. And again, that doesn't make the fear completely go away. But you know what it does do? As part of me is going, (laughs) there's another part of me that's going. And little by little, the sense of his love displaces the sense of being afraid of him, little by little. And guess what? The more you are aware and convinced of his love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what they know about security? That when we have a secure bond with a responsive mother, It's the soil from which self-esteem grows. A child who knows that they are loved feels good about himself. Self-esteem, self-control. A child who knows they're attended to doesn't need to get what he wants. Now, again, no kids are perfect and no mothers are perfect. But in general, to a degree, if if the child feels heard and loved, he can exercise more self-control. Self-esteem, self-control, mastery. A child who is secure can concentrate on things, can learn things, can study things. And 
self-control, and empathy. A child that's secure, again, I want you to self-esteem, self-control, mastery, empathy. That sounds like the way the Spirit of God functions. How does the Spirit of God produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control? By causing you to understand that you are securely bonded to your Father in heaven. He is not your master. He is your father. You are not his slave. You are his son and daughter. And he has bonded with unbreakable bonds. And as you understand how strong those bonds are, you will find yourself doing less column A and more column B. That's the way it works. Jesus came to replace spirit of slavery with the spirit of sonship. It's not just important, we're going to close, what isn't said. What is said, but what isn't said. It's really important to understand that there's a new covenant. If your picture of God is that he's kind of like the God of the Old Testament, you've kind of got to watch out for him. He's a master and he'll punish you. And it's, you kind of got to make a combination of that and the God of the New Testament. The Spirit of God will not make you a slave again to fear. He will not. He will not put you under law. And that's what it's talking about, the law of Moses. With respect to God looking at you, are you keeping the commandment because I'm going to bless you if you do and I'm going to curse you if you don't? That is not how God functions anymore. It's not how there's a spirit that pulls us in that direction. It's not how God operates. How does he operate? He says, you're not my slave. You're my son and my daughter. And you've got to understand that this bond cannot be severed. And as you understand that and believe that, a strange thing will happen. You'll find yourself doing more column A, less, more col- less column A, more column B. But you'll be doing it because it kind of feels natural because you're seeing yourself as his child, not his slave. Come on up, we're going to close with a song. If you want to do a little more work on uh, understanding, live by the Spirit, I'm going to give you some uh, a thing to look through. There's a devotional commentary, there's a couple I wrote. The Race for Grace is some text from the book of Galatians. That might be a place that you go to, if you go to there or maybe not. Anyways, get a sense for what it means to live by the Spirit. Have some real thoughts about it. Try to understand it. In fact, that might be a prayer. God, help me understand what it means to live by your Spirit. If you understand that, you understand the how. It would seem, and I'm going to close us, that we are supposed to put to death the misdeeds of the body. But we're supposed to do it by the Spirit. The Spirit of God does not frighten to death the misdeeds of the body. He fathers to death the misdeeds of the body. Let's pray. Well, thank you for your purposes. and Thank you that you haven't left us as orphans. Your spirit replicates in our minds 
the type of thoughts you want us to have of you, the type of thoughts that lived in Jesus' mind, thoughts of a son relating to a father, a father relating to sons and daughters. To live by the Spirit means to orient, to change the way we think of you, not as a master, but as a father, ourselves not as slaves, but as children. Pray that you'd help us. It's hard to see. There's so much confusion. Listen to so many things, good things, that lead us and say so many things, but they don't talk about this. Anyway, help us to see it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.